Hi, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Mike Lawrence. I'm a health and wellbeing management consultant based in Sheffield. But today we're in the lovely podcast studios of Barnsley Rotherham Chamber of Commerce. And this morning I've got a, a, a fantastic guest. He's uh, Donald McLean. I met Donald when I was delivering one of my mental health first aid training courses in Sheffield earlier this year. And um, Donald is um, working on a a project for the Black Barbers um, uh, to raise awareness around uh, mental health topics. And he's um, um, delighted that he's come in this morning to join us to ask some questions around some of the you know, um, some of the challenges around what he faces in this uh, in this in his role. And also uh, some general chit chat around some mental health issues in the black community, in work, self care practices, and so on and so forth. And so, first of all, I'd like um, to introduce um, Donald. So, welcome, Donald. Well, thanks very much, there, Mike, for inviting me. Absolutely, and thank you for coming. Let's just to kick off, and just you just want to give the the listeners uh, or the viewers. A bit of a background in regards to what you're currently doing now at the moment in time and what actually got you here. Uh, I start in a sense slightly backwards, which is what got me to where I am now. Um, I've spent the last 40 years, from about 1982 to 2022, uh, working in education. The last 15 years as a vice principal at Lonely Park Sixth Form uh, in Sheffield. And so it was um, a career which I really enjoyed, a career which I got a lot out of, a career where I felt as if I was contributing to uh, well the well-being of society in whatever little way I could do. Um, but I did 40 years, I took retirement, and I didn't, you know, I had a year where I was able to sort of like reset myself and uh, part of that resetting myself was I went to France for a couple of months uh, and just sort of like chilled out really uh, but during the course of that year I felt a sort of like a bit of a not an urge but a feeling that I wanted to continue to contribute in whatever way I could do and uh, a job came up at uh, SACMA which is Sheffield African Caribbean Mental Health Association uh, an association which has been in existence since I think 1986 and as it says on the tin its focus is very much around mental health and it was something they had a job off a uh, job came up which was um the engagement coordinator for the black uh, male barbers mental health project uh, i looked into it and i thought yeah i could do this i want to do this i feel as if it would be something which would be really good for me i feel as if i can contribute i think i've got some skills and some qualities which i can actually sort of like uh, add to it and um, i applied for it went for an interview and i got it with regard to the project itself, the project is very much around um, recognising from the very outset that um, barbershops, men, uh, black men's barbershops, but barbershops in general, are very much a community asset. 
Now, the community asset, they have always been within the black community. Um, I know when I came to Sheffield in 1989, uh, that the first thing I was sort of looking for was a barbershop. Where, where am I going to get my hair cut? And back in those days, uh, when you had a relatively small black community uh, in Sheffield, um, you were not talking about lots of barbershops, you're talking about just one or two. But once you've got that barber, uh, you stayed with that barber. That barber and the barber shop and the community which was in that um, barber shop, they'd be also sort of like a maybe a sort of like clearinghouse of what's taking place within the black community in Sheffield or any other city. So they'd tell you, oh yeah, it's a Dakin. That's where you can go for a dance there. Oh, if you need to go and get some food, you can get you some food there. And all those sorts of things. So I recognise that and um, the project recognises that. And um, it wants to work with the barbers and the barbershops there to build on the conversations which have been taking place in those barbershops forever. And those conversations include issues around how you manage the everyday realities of life, the stresses of life which you face all the time, and how in some cases there, those stresses can be really mount up and actually present as a sort of like um, a difficulty for people. And have you found any challenges so far? regard to you know um, I know you shared with us some part of the steering group that you set up with other um, professionals in the in the in the Sheffield community drawing from their experiences and everything but what sort of challenges if any of you face in reaching out to the the various barbers in Sheffield I think the first thing is to I think the difference from say 1989 when I first came to Sheffield to today the black community in Sheffield has changed it's grown in number, uh, but it's changed quite considerably in terms of its composition. So previously it was African-Caribbean, basically people who came from the Caribbean. Now it's a much more diversified community. So you've got many more people who come from Africa, that'd be uh, sort of like Eritrea, for Ethiopia, Nigeria, Gambia, Ghana, or lots of different places. And many of the barbers reflect the community which they come from. And so it's been relatively easier for me to make connection with those barbershops which are Caribbean. They're a closer connection to myself. Uh, it's more likely that I know people from uh, those barbershops, people who go to those barbershops. So it's been much easier. So I've still got a lot of work to do with regard to some of the other barbershops. Yeah. And in specific... Um and so would you say it's the, the challenges around the non-sort of Caribbean community um, engaging them? Yeah, I think that, that's me personally, I think. Yeah. I, don't, I, um, I don't think it's the case that um, they don't want to be involved. Uh, a part of engagement is actually building, you know, good relationships. Yeah. Uh, build relationships, personal relationships. And personal relationships, as we all know, take a lot of time. You've got to get people to feel as if they know where you're coming from. There's a sense of they can trust who you are and that you're not just going in there to take from them. And when you've already got something already, 
you can build on that. So there's a particular bubble where you and I go to, uh, and we, that's where we uh, the um, support group is hosted. Um, that's a barber shop where I've been going for 20 years. I know the two guys, you know, well, and you know them well. So you're building on that relationship. You know, they feel as if I know who you are, Donald. I've having to build those relationships with other barbers. Yeah, and you mentioned the other day. Was it one of those meetings that you shared some of the, your challenges for the first time around your own particular mental health? Yeah, I mean, um, it's been interesting in the last, um, for myself personally, since um, I started the um, uh, job, that I've probably had this... I think the support group's been very interesting because, you know, there's a few there, a few guys there, and, you know, it's... You know, guys of similar age there, guys who probably have got, um, you know, have presented in a particular way for a large part of their lives. You know, so I would never have thought of myself as being a particularly macho person, but there's quite a, you know, a male way of presenting, which I've actually embodied all that time. And a part of that is. Uh, to present as reasonably strong. Yeah. And, you know, if I've got a problem and people ask me, I'd some, probably say, I'm all right. And I think the thing which I've done, and I think it was that one uh, uh, venue actually um, did a presentation at SACMA, and um, we were talking about um, counselling. And it was at that event where I sort of admitted publicly that I'd actually received counselling. Uh, and I and I met and I thought to myself, it's the first time I've said to people I've received counselling, and um, I, I must have thought to myself, I'm going to keep this private because it will make me look weak. And it was interesting. I think it was last Friday where a couple of guys uh, present said exactly the same that they had, and I felt better for the fact that I said, hey, that I had actually sort of like put my hand up and said, yes, I have, uh, because it's a part of hopefully, you know, probably more people have received counselling than they want to admit. There's probably more people who would benefit from counselling, but feel it is a bit sort of like not afraid, but a bit cautious about it. What does it say about me? Uh, so yeah, I felt good about that. Excellent. Mm. And because it was it early early this week that um, you ran another session or a workshop, mm. and this was around reaching out to people within the community to encourage them to see a, a therapist. Yeah, it was um, um, uh, Dr. Delroy Hall, who's a psychotherapist, and the title was, and it was a sort of like, I'm going to say, a provocative title, which was Why Black Men Should See a Therapist. And uh, we had about 10, 12 people present, and... One of the people who uh, sort of responded after the event said that it was probably the first time he'd been in a room full of um, black men mainly, uh, where he'd heard people talking about mental health and the idea of seeing a therapist. And he thanked me for actually putting it on, which was really generous of him. Uh, and it made me feel as if, well, if that's what I'm doing, which is trying to just give opportunity for people, particularly primarily black men, to actually engage as much as they can, then that depends, as we said last on Friday, about where people are on this road, uh, then that's progress. Yeah. 
which is which is good, you know, which is, which is good, and I'd echo that mm. uh, having those conversations. Uh, for people in those communities, you know, raising that, you know, raising the continues to raise awareness, and um, be able to signpost people where to go. One of the meetings that we were at recently, actually, it's come up on a few occasions um, in the steering group when people have talked about the the use of the word or the non-use of the word mental health, and that within the sort of the black community and from their own experience to remove the word mental health and replace it for something else. I'd just like to, to take your view on that. Yeah, it's been an interesting debate that has. I mean, um, you know, I think one of the... I started very much with the mental health, you know, those words, those terms. And I'm probably um, the sort of person who quite easily goes into those sorts of terms. Uh, but they... And that's probably because of my background in education. And... I think one of the things I've learned in the last six months is that actually you have to start with an individual or people with where they're at. And it might be that actually sometimes the term mental health can be off-putting. And then the associated terms with that, you know, I'm not going to say this but necessarily, but you might fall into then using some of them what? Uh, yeah, let's call it some of the jargon, some of the associated words, you know, the psychosis, uh, schizophrenia, terms like that, they can start to come out and they can actually be a barrier for people. Mm. Now, what some barbers have said to me and other people have said to me is that it might be uh, more accessible because this is what guys are coming into the barbershop and talking about. They talk about issues. And issues which are stresses in their life. So it could be, you know, relationships with a partner which may have broken down. It might be about access to the children. It might be about problems at work. It might be about, um, you know, I've been I'm on short time, so I've got more, you know, how do I pay the mortgage? It might be how do I look after an elderly parent? It could be all those sorts of issues, which are the sorts of things which actually cause a lot of stress for people. And that's what they're coming in. On all occasions, and this is Barbara said this on um, Friday, sometimes guys will be coming in and they'll be sort of like really, really at that far end of, I can't manage. I mean, you know, I can't cope with this. It's too much, you know, where that, you know, it's just been sort of like constant. All of these issues are all piling up there and I just can't manage it. And I think we were all a bit surprised when we sort of like heard that from one of the barbers when he said, I do have guys in here who we were basically saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to take my life. Mm. Uh, so you have got the whole gamut there. And it might be all of those things I just said that have just got too much for people. Uh, and I was at an event in Leeds um, back in September, a health uh, event, and I was um, standing next to a project which was around suicide. Well, I was in conversation, and I think I may have said something like, "Well, you know, you know, people, you know, many people find it difficult to talk about suicide, and maybe we, you know, we need to be a bit careful how we talk about suicide." And they had a view, which is maybe we need to find a way which we can talk about suicide. You know, it's there. And it's happening. It's happening for men in general uh, a lot in society. And it's happening a, a lot for black men in society. And were you, and 
good point that you raised there because we were all at the unfortunate passing of the Mr. T, the barbers, was it five, six years ago, something like that? And it was Dr. Delroy um, Hall who did the ceremony. And I remember st stood outside because the is like a huge swathe of the African Caribbean community was inside, and there was a lot of people outside. The screens outside as well. And I always remember what sticks with me is when he talked about and used the word, you know, suicide. He took his life, and at the time it was uh, it's no longer a crime. But he said if it's anybody that's in the congregation or stood outside having any suicidal ideation, any thoughts or plans, is to seek help. Well, it was to seek help. And I remember looking around the audience at the time and thinking, well, how many actually would do that? And so it's great when you're putting on events like you do around go and see a therapist, talk to people, get that help and support. Yeah, I mean, I think um, suicide, I mean, I, I mean, as you said, we were both... I was at the conference last year and I didn't want to go. I got asked by uh, a friend uh, who said, oh, there's this conference on uh, on Saturday, initial on the Thursday, and I was reluctant to go. And I think I was reluctant because I thought, do I really want to spend a Saturday hearing about suicide? Like, if I was being really honest with myself. And he said, no, no, I think it'd be good. And actually, it was probably one of the best conferences I've ever been to. And I've been to lots of conferences. I must have been to at least 100 plus conferences in my working career. And I'd, you know, I'd rate it as one of the best I've been in terms of organisation, in terms of the speakers, in terms of the part, the participation which took place there. And it was like, you know, it was quite a shift in thinking. That's what I felt. I felt there was a real mood shift as a result of that conference. Those people who attended it, there was a mood shift uh, in how people were seeing things. So we were at this, um, at the end, there was about 40 men present and uh, people talking about the number of people they knew who'd committed suicide. Um, this is an audience of about 40 people. You probably had about, 25 black people, about five Asian, about 10 white guys. And there was lots and lots of suicide. That's what came across. And it was scary. And I think people were tracing back in their lives and thinking, yeah, I knew that guy. You know, well, you know, back in the mid-20s, I forgot about that, I forgot about that. There was a lot of that taking place. Yeah. Which is, which is, which is, um, who organised that? That was SACMA. That was SACMA, yeah. yeah. And which speakers did? Well, Dr. Tadello Hall was one of them. There was, um, there was, I can't remember them, there was um, um, a counsellor, another psychotherapist, and there was a person who was actually lived experience, so yeah. a person who's, um, uh, had you know severe mental issues and he'd actually contemplated suicide and he presented uh, and uh, you know that was really important as well there mm -hmm. and you and how we met was actually on a mental health you attended one of my mental health first day training courses and you you gave me the reasons 
when we went for a coffee afterwards as to what you were hoping to find in relation to the type of person who would be delivering um, the, 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 the training. Yeah, the day before I'd met with one of the guys who's on the support group and we were having coffee and I was saying to him, I was, basically I was trying to get him to be on the support group. So um, coffee and cake seems to work. And uh, it, I said to him, oh, I'm going on this training tomorrow, uh, mental health first aid training, and I'm really looking forward to it. I hope it's going to give me the sort of information and sort of like ways of thinking which I could sort of replicate uh, for the program as such or a project as such. And, you know, given that it's a national organisation, I'm sure they must have some black guys or black people, I should say, who are, you know, trainers. Uh, that was just a general thought. So I thought I might just get a name, I'll go there, turn up, whatever. So when I turned up and... Uh, there's a few of us there, and there's this black person there. I thought, oh, well, that person's a participant. That's a surprise that there's, because my working career has often been where I could go into a room of 200 people and be the only black person. So seeing another black person is always a bit of a surprise. It's always a very pleasant surprise. And then when you called us all to sit down, I thought, oh, he's the trainer. And that was a real surprise. And then during the course of it, I think you opened up by talking about, you know, barbers. I thought, this is even better. And then it came apparent that you were actually from Sheffield and you actually went to the same barber as myself. I thought, that's a lot of connections. And I thought, you know, that's fortuitous and all the other things like that and fate and et cetera, et cetera. And it's been, you know, a real blessing because, you know, so connecting with yourself there has opened up a little, you know, ways of thinking for myself, which have been really quite sort of like, um, you know, it's shifted my thinking, you know, from quite a, not call it rigid, but you're surprised when you're away from something. If you've been doing it for such a long time, you think like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought in a particular way, which was very much around my professional career as in education. And I've had to think very differently in this new field. And um, you've been very, very, or that relationship with yourself has been really important in sort of kickstarting me in that way. No, good. And it's nice to be part of that. And, and, and thank you for sharing, you know, that, I, um, you know, that there as well. You also, some of the conversations that we've had in the past, whether it be through the steering group or the workshops or just having the channel coffee, you've shared info on some of the inequalities. Because we already just touched on, you know, sort of suicide. You also talk or passionately also as well around access to get that help and support and some of those inequalities. Do you want to just share a few of those inequalities? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things which is surprised, well, I just, no, it hasn't surprised me. When you see the figures, so for instance, the figures about um, black men are five times more likely to be detained under the Mental Health Act than white men. Now, I wasn't surprised that black men are more likely I was surprised that it's five times more likely and that has been a figure which has been around for probably the last 40 50 60 years so not much has shifted um, we're more likely to be diagnosed with uh, an illness such as psychosis or schizophrenia we're less likely to be referred to talking therapies from a GP 
were less likely to actually go to a GP. Uh, and that is probably due to the sort of like relationships which uh, black people and black men in particular have with GPs and the medical uh, practice. It is no wonder, you know, if you're talking, for instance, if we go on to about black women who are five times more likely to die uh, in childbirth than white women, all of those things form a backcloth to um, the sort of like, you know, incredible disparities in mental health for black people. Yeah. And is one of your views or hopes or goals, aspirations in regards to the, the steering group and the work that you're doing within the community in the Black Project is to change people's ideas or to get people to think differently like you've started to think different? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things which I've probably got is um, I want to be a small part in, because there's lots of people doing this, I just want to put play a part, my small part, in uh, continuing the conversation, building the conversation around mental health within the black community. And again, particularly black men talking about mental health. And in so doing, you know, it may well get people to think slightly differently about it. Uh, in thinking slightly differently about something, you may well act slightly differently. You will think about something first before you can act differently. So if what I'm able to uh, contribute along with others, I mean, I feel as if I'm um, part of a community of people who are, you know, interested in this and engaged in, in this sort of area of work and it's in its own way it's quite excited and uh, you know from a personal level there you retire and I actually well I retired I listened to this thing uh, this guy talking on those TED things and I can't remember the exact things but he was talking about the stages in retirement and what he said the first stage is you just relieved you're not working anymore so it's great and then there's a second bit where I actually start to get a little bit sort of like you're looking around for things and then there's a third bit where actually you try a few different things and then there's a fourth bit in the retirement phase where actually you found something which actually gives you a sense of purpose mm -hmm. and that sense of purpose is also a part of healthy minds and at its present time I feel as if the work uh, and the community which I feel a part of. I mean, last Friday, um, I felt like I was very much a part of something and that makes you feel, you know, better in yourself. So there's also about my own sort of mental health as well, uh, which is, is feeling better for it. Good, good. No, I think it was a great meeting last week at uh, Fade Barbers on Abbeydale Road. But you also then wrote. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's changed now. So it's changed not so long ago. And I think there's lots of topics I think that was put forward to, for consideration. And you saw you're making lots of notes around um, meetings, potential workshops on topics such as uh, prostate, um, the menopause, and also um, hypertension, high blood pressure, which people within the black community, you know, seems to be more prevalent than say other sort of communities. 
I just wanted to just, just segue back slightly, though, to the mental health first aid training course that you came on earlier this year uh, with myself, which I was delivering. And there's, there's two things, really. One, I think you may have mentioned at the time that there's possibility of whether it should be offered to barbers or the people within the community. So I just wanted to take your, you know, get your feedback in your view whether that would be so you know something for them and also secondly somebody's actually been on the course what was your key takeaways from it uh I'll, let's start with the second one first key takeaway and if key takeaway for me was um probably um he's dialogue and he's dialoguing but which is prefaced on listening you know, dialogue in that you ask questions, you know, you but you listen. They're like, the two are going constantly uh, and you show interest and um, that you notice. So um, you, you're in a relationship with someone, whatever that nature of that relationship is, and you notice something which is slightly different about the person or there's been something which has been nagging away at you about this particular person. And actually, you give it some time. You, you know, you've, you talk to that person, you ask that person, and you stay with it, you know. And I, and I don't mean, you know, in a nagging sort of way, but you, you sort of give it some attention. And you make that person feel as if, actually, you do want to actually hear something. Because we've all been brought up with what we do is actually if you ask me how I am I don't I know you don't really want to know how I am so actually you know that other person or we have to feel as if yes you really do want to know how I am uh, and um, so I think I got that I had something the other day on Friday it was um, I'd been to a funeral on the Thursday and I'd actually done the eulogy of a very close friend and on the Friday, I went walking with some old university friends. And I think it was on Monday or no, it was about two days ago. I got text from one of the guys who said, you're out there, Donald. You looked a bit tired on Friday. Yeah. And I thought, I didn't think I looked tired. I mean, I had talked a little bit about the funeral. And he sort of added there, you know, you've been, quite, been through quite a bit recently, haven't you? And I thought it was a really nice touch that actually he'd obviously gone away over the last few days. I thought, I don't think Donald was exactly where he normally is. And that coming back to me and actually saying, this is what I noticed, makes me feel as if, yes, I could share more with him. And I think that's what I took from the training. Um, in terms of for the training going out to the barbers, um, I don't know because I think you have to, again, we talked about this on Friday, which is where people are at. And it might be for some barbers that they're not at the place where they want something very formal. They may well continue where they do get to that place. At the moment, I think for many of the barbers, I think it's they want to be talking about mental health. I think they're increasingly starting to hear the language which might be associated with mental health and feel as if actually they're just another word for what I know <laughs> and I can put 
a word to what I know or what I see. And I've got insights, which actually I think are, you know, valuable uh, insights. Mm. No, it's... I, I I share that as well because I think it was the steering group that was on Friday and I think it was one of the barbers, resident barbers there, and we went round the room and said, what sort of workshop, what do they ask? Because it's, it's great that you've asked us and other professionals to come up with a title, you know, for workshops, but then when sort of bounced it back to yourselves and said, okay, well, what what actually... When people are coming to the barbershops, what are they talking about? What are the challenges? And then you share, and then they're starting to share. There's actually, yeah, somebody did talk about mental health and somebody who has had some suicidal ideation, thoughts of um, taking action, you know, to end their life, which we were all sort of surprised because we thought that as a participant and having my haircuts in the same place as yourself, that we just talk about music, Sport, <laughs> yeah. yeah, music and sport, yeah, politics, yeah, you know, it's everything, you know, it's all, you know, everyone's got an opinion on something, which is great, <coughs> but very not that often that, you know, we hear when somebody's, you know, uh, sort of like a crisis as such. One of the things I wanted to touch on also is I guess we're in, is it October 2023? Where the, where's the years going? And within our community around the country we celebrate Black History Month obviously you mentioned and said a few times how you were uh, was it deputy principal at mm. a uh, 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 school was Black History <coughs> two questions again was Black History taught in the in the schools where you were and secondly what's your view on, on, on Black History and Black History Month? I think to me obviously it wasn't taught okay it isn't taught um, and and um, uh, which I think is, you know, wrong. I think that black history should be taught. I think uh, this is a perspective I've got, which is I don't think you can really understand Britain. You know, let's just say, you know, um, there we are in Britain. Yeah, we want to understand Britain as well as we can. This is the country we live in. And I don't think you can understand Britain without knowing about black history. You know, it's fundamental to what Britain is. Uh, you know, there's a programme at the moment called The Union, which is by David Olusago. And uh, it's talking about, you know, the union of um, United Kingdom, uh, obviously Great Britain and Ireland. And it's over the last 300, 400 years. And it's got one bit at the start where he talks about plantations, how the um, Scottish go over to Northern Ireland and they establish the plantations. And that's a word which, for anyone from a Caribbean background, plantation is evocative. It's a bad evocative because it's slavery. And that then, you know, he then looks at this family um, who then uh, sort of like uh, a Scottish family called Drummond and Drummond's uh, supported the Jacobite Rebellion in this 17, whatever it was. But the youngest son goes down to London and becomes a major banker. Now, if you look at the names of Caribbean people, which are not African names, they're names given to us by uh, our slave owners. My name is McLean. That's a Scottish name. I once went to with a walking group uh, to walk Bay Nevis, and the names in that 
bus uh, of black people was Campbell, Hutchison, Moffat, Grant. These were all Scottish names. So for me, you know, it is absolutely vital that we understand those sort of things, know about these things and understand it, but not just black people know and understand it, but actually the whole communities which are here in Britain. So that's my take on it, you know, and yeah, I just think that it's so, you know, so, but I think it's vital. I think, you know, from, you know, white people in Britain don't know that. You know, people will ask me, oh, where's your name come from? And I actually think, you know, before I used to be a bit sort of like embarrassed by those, say, Donald McLean, etc. That's a very Scottish thing. You must be Scottish. And I used to sort of like avoid saying, oh, it's a slave's name because I didn't want to upset. But now I think, it's, you know, you have to say that. You know, somewhere in your history is that. Uh, and, you know, and that's not trying to throw guilt at people. It's so that people know and understand about the Britain we are. In terms of Black History and Black History Month, I'm probably with what other people, what some people think. The notion of a month is ridiculous. Uh, it has to be something which is continuous. It has to be so everywhere that actually you don't feel like it's being forced. It just is. You know, if you're looking at X, okay, how does this play out? I'm particularly interested in actually that black history isn't just something about, you know, black history wasn't sort of created, you know, when it comes into contact with colonialist. Black history is there before, and black history isn't necessarily black history. It's about the history of those many different people who come from Africa. You know, we're talking there about the Wolof. We're talking there about the Akan. We're talking there about the Ashanti. We're talking there about the Bantu people, etc. The many different people who are, you know, in all of Africa, you know, you couldn't be saying to a Nigerian who's from uh, a sort of Yoruba background that actually they don't they don't even see themselves as black. They saw themselves as Yoruba first. You know, that's what I've seen when I've spoken to people of that and all Yoruba background. They're Yoruba or they're um, Fulani or they're you know all those many different different ethnic groups, etc. Just like you have in Europe. And I think, you know, we need to be able to start to know more about those sorts of histories as well. So that actually our history, black history, isn't just simply defined as a sort of like postscript to European history. It runs alongside like everybody's history is what well, it is. It's everybody's history, uh, her story and so forth. Yeah. Interesting. It's good. And. Um, and just going further back again, well, not back in history, but um, what happened over in America several years ago with George Floyd, do you think that had any impact um, at all? Because I know that at that time when it happened, um, governments were getting in touch with local authorities, trying to try and find out what the relationships were like in the various communities. And I know that a couple of years ago I was involved in the the, you know, the, what was it, the race equality, forget the name at the top of my head, the Commission for Racial Equality um, review that was done. And actually, and this was done online because it was done online. And I remember I set a microphone and cameras up in my mum's house. And my mum's just, what, 82, 83 now. And um, I, she came forward well, I actually put her forward just to take her take on her experience of 
um, some of the challenge that she faced because of the colour of her skin um, in London versus Sheffield. And, you know, and I listened in for, you know, um, from other people who was giving their testimony on their experiences as well, people who are currently working for the, you know, Fairfield City Council and people in those areas as well. So I'd just like to, you know, take your, hear your views in regards to, do you think anything, you think it's got, you know, better? Because I think we had, what was it, the, the Tory, was it the Tory minister who said that, what was it, um, she came out with that phrase at the party conference the other week around, you know, was it, um, forget what it was exactly what you said up the top of the head. You're talking about the Home Secretary. Yeah, the Home Secretary. Yeah, I, 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 but multiculturalism had failed. That's all right, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do I think it's, it's changed? You know, and, you know, I think George Floyd is, I think, you know, we've been talking about history there, and this is just, a, again, just a personal take on things. It, you know, history and progression isn't necessarily a nice straight line. You know, and I think uh, uh, again, there's something I read the other day or watched the other day. It was about um, the Chartist movement uh, in uh, Britain in the 1830s, and they started off there where they wanted to have the vote for everyone, including women. So this is 1830, and it's all about the vote for women. And actually, they decided not to go for it. So. They're, even then in 1830, they're talking about that sort of issue there. So you have lots of periods where there's an event which actually gets people to think slightly differently. And you can go forward and then go back. You go two steps forward, you go one step back. I think there's a lot of that. I think the George Floyd one there, it opens up a debate which has been probably, had been probably sort of like, I don't know, there was a sort of like sense of... I would look at the progress we've made since the 1960s where people don't use those horrible words anymore, etc., etc. Et and there might have been complacency. People felt as if, you know, the authorities felt could, could be that, you know, we've gone forward. But actually we haven't gone as, for, more, as forward as people thought. And when people then start to talk differently, much more sort of like, look, these are still the problems. We still have, you know, black boys being uh, excluded more than any other group of people. You've got more black people, men in particular, in prison than ever. You've got more black women dying uh, in childbirth than ever. But actually, in a way, you will see a bit of progress when you get a bit of kickback. And the kickback is that actually people don't like hearing those sort of things there. And I do disagree with Swellin Braverman now as Home Secretary. You know, I'm not saying that multiculturalism is has been, uh, you know, perfect. But I think the sort of characterization she has of Britain and, you know, of uh, the many different communities which are in Britain there with the tensions there are tensions they are tension points they are points of sort of like you know friction that it's not the because I think she's wanting to characterise it like that because she wants to have an, I think an agenda which is she's blaming black people for that tension and she's wanting to appeal to a sort of right-wing sort of like constituency, which you know isn't just simply a case of um, we want to put the brakes on immigration. We really, 
in an ideal world, would like to do a sort of repatriation. You know, we, we've got too many here anyway, so let them all go, basically, regardless of how long they have lived in this country. And that type of idea can, you know, get some traction there. So I actually think that actually I disagree with her. I think that actually there's lots more to be done, but if not the... It's not the failure which she says, because I don't see the African Caribbean communities being a failure in that at all. And I would uh, I would agree with you on that as well. And we could debate that forever and a day. But just just finishing off now, just to summarise, you know, and, and again, just thank you very much for, for coming in, um, Donald. As always, we enjoy our conversations, engagements in that sense, and lots of great information shared. Coffee there. and cake, though. <laughs> <laughs> you get here early. Yes. <laughs> but just what's your, you know, just your final um, sort of your final wish, you had a magic wand and a final wish um, in regards to what you want to achieve at this phase, phase of your career? Oh, what do I want? I would like to... I've got six barbers who are actively engaged. I want those six barbers, I want to continue to be able to work with those six barbers. I want those six barbers to feel as if that... Uh, what I'm trying to do is genuine and authentic and honest. And if they feel that, then they will con- continue on the journey they started for themselves. I like that six to maybe be eight or ten. It maybe can't go beyond that sort of num- number because to have genuine relationships, you probably have to have fewer rather than more because you spread yourself too thinly there. Yeah. So I, that's what I'd like with respect to this project. Okay. Thank you, Donald, for, for coming in this morning. It's been a great pleasure. So if anybody wants to learn more about what you're doing in the project and, and SACMA, how can somebody get in touch with you? Uh, quite simply, just uh, go on to the internet, the website, and you'll find SACMA. Uh, you just type in SACMA, which is S-A-C-M-H-A, SACMA for Sheffield African and Caribbean Mental Health Association. And there is a, um, a, an area within the website which will say the Black Male Barbers Mental Health Project. Thank you. Thank you.